did I do something bad? Did I do something wrong? Right. And that again is the conditioning talking of like not letting myself be seen and heard and hiding those very sacred parts of myself. But that isn't how we heal the world or ourselves. Welcome to Therapist Expanded, where we start a mental health revolution by living our dreams fully and freely beyond industry conditioning and taking every client with us, because we'll only take them as far as we've gone. So join me, your host, Erin Gibb, and my trailblazing guests and be revolutionary by expanding your mind and your life to your freest and fullest potential. Hello, Therapists Expanding. I appreciate you being here so deeply. For those of you who are going to listen to this in the future, this next part may not make that much sense. I believe in having an evergreen podcast, and I'm so pumped that in the time I am recording this, my Therapist Fulfillment Activation Cart is open, and the 100% promo code was available in the ad. And really, for anyone listening, even in the future, probably the best part of this for you is that the code is REVOLUTION, all caps, and it's probably going to always be my code. So that's probably always going to benefit you. Today is a very special interview. I have interviewed Betty Delory, and her medicine name is Dawn Star Woman. And I have interviewed her for two other podcast episodes before. So it's been an evolution. And the last episode we did before this one was a mini coaching episode. And it was important to Betty that she come back on the podcast and update us about this important work she's doing, the shifts she's making. And this is the medicine of being seen and heard on this podcast and in her life. So without further ado, here is my episode with Betty Delory, Dawn Star Woman. Okay, so we're back today on Therapist Expanded. So glad you're all here. And we're back with Betty Delory. And Betty's going to tell us actually about her name. Hi, thank you. Thank you for welcoming me back. So my name is Betty Delory. My medicine name is Dawn Star Woman. And I'm very excited to share that with you as I feel like it really fits with who I am. And yes, you were saying you you don't care for the word Betty necessarily. It doesn't feel as <laughs> yes. useful. Yes, I I have joked so many times with friends over the years of how I feel like Betty is a 80-year-old lady's name and I never fully felt like it was my name. So since last time I was here with you, I started a mentorship program with with shamanism. (laughs) So I found my label, I suppose. But also one of the the parts of this process was finding my medicine name. And Dawn Star Woman was the name that I have. And it fits perfectly because I just, I feel so beautiful. Like I like if I was going to pick a medicine name for myself, yeah, that would probably be it. Dawn Star Woman. It fits. It feels so youthful. It's so pretty. I love the stars. I feel like there's a lot there. So yeah, it's been an exciting few months. 
Yeah, that's beautiful. I thought it was a good segue into what you just said, which is it's been an exciting few months because we really did those interviews in the summer. And Mm -hmm. so this is a chance to kind of update where you're at and what your journey has been like. So I think that then people are following along and I think it's inspiring because a lot of people are at different stages as they're listening to this. Yeah, absolutely. So when we did the first interviews, I was just planning my private practice and launching out. And I was still like, when I listened back to them, it was really hard to hear because I was still very much unsure of who I was and where I was going and what exactly I was going to do. It was really hard to hear. But in those interviews, the focus that we talked about was all about conditioning. And what's fascinating about conditioning is it comes in so many different ways. And we talked about it in a lot of different ways, about the indigenous aspect of it and in the Western practices where, you know, the needing to have credentials and having somebody give you this piece of paper to say, you can go do this and, and all of those pieces. But the thing about conditioning that we didn't really talk about was how we've really been trained to hide, you know, hide ourselves, hide our authentic selves. Uh, You know, we, we play small to keep other people comfortable And the idea of being seen for us is incredibly uncomfortable. And so I didn't know this, but the podcast was setting me on that trajectory of being seen. And I've had a few other opportunities of being seen since then that really, really were difficult. You know, the podcast was one and being really vulnerable about my own pain. That was really hard. And it was hard to hear. And it hasn't been so long ago that hearing it, you know, I could still feel it too, right? Like it could still stir those feelings up really easily. So that was really tough. But since then, I have started shamanic mentoring. So I've joined a group of other people who are interested in shamanic practices and really giving into that because that was always the area of spirituality that resonated most with me and who I am and where I come from. We talked so much about my beliefs last time and, and it just, yeah, it just fits so much for me. So that's been really exciting to jump into that. And that was where I got my medicine name and you, we've had so many weekends in that. And I just keep giving myself over to the process and allowing whatever to unfold, unfold. And the more I speak my medicine name, I feel the more powerful it becomes and the more it it is me. Mm-hmm. Does, that, does that make sense? Yeah, because identity is a decision. Yeah. It's one that we're not conscious of when we're little, when we're being indoctrinated, when we're being conditioned. It isn't conscious. Our brain waves are very receptive. It's all subconscious. But as we age, we start to realize, I think, or I'm about to say, that we form our identity based on the decisions we're making, the actions we're taking. We then reflect back. So identity is really a decision. How we want to build our identity can be completely conscious. And so when you turned on this this Zoom, like when we got on the Zoom and I saw Betty, Dawn Starr, I was immediately like, whoa. 
I felt a different frequency of your identity. And it was like, I was right away asking you about it. And yep. <laughs> what you said about being seen, I, I recommend to everybody listening that if there's a place you could be seen a little bit more and you're willing to grow, try it because it stirs up so much stuff in us that would normally Betty's like doing big eyes yeah me too <laughs> that we would normally not see necessarily in our day-to-day -day life when you go to being seen it's like I'm having this experience currently with with what I'm doing anything that is incongruent with what I'm saying as I'm being seen it's just like coming right up to the surface to to heal you know to be to die and be born again these ego things so if you really want to see the areas in your life you want to grow, test yourself by being seen. Take that, walk into it, go into the arena, as Brene Brown would say, and you'll learn, I've found more about yourself than you could by just looking inwards. That act pushes us towards that growth edge fast. It absolutely does. And so being on the podcast interview with you last time was the first time for me that I really shared publicly and openly about my spirituality uh, like there were people that I was still nervous about hearing and I'm like oh man like how much of this have I really shared with my dad like <laughs> what is he gonna think like you know things like that like so you you exposed yourself and this part of you and for a lot of people like myself, I guess, in indigenous people, there is a form of conditioning that happened where we didn't talk about it, right? And we didn't really talk a lot about spirituality. And we didn't talk openly about it and publicly. So there, there was that aspect for me too, of like, did I do something bad? Did I do something wrong? Right? And that again, is the conditioning talking of like, not letting myself be seen and heard. Um, and hiding those those very sacred parts of myself but that isn't how we heal the world or ourselves and it's funny because this didn't just show up in my spirituality this showed up on a whole other fronts of my life uh, so I curl semi-competitively in my community and we went to a not the highest level but the next level of a of a national event they call the club championships and some of the events were live streamed and we had uh, Jennifer Jones, who is an absolute legend in the curling world, if anybody follows. And she was the person commentating on our game. And I was so nervous. This was my first time skipping a team at a national event. And it was going to be live streamed with like Jennifer freaking Jones like commentating. like, And we had to be mic'd up. They put mics on us. So I was absolutely sick to my stomach with this. Like I was so nervous. We're this little team from the Northwest Territories. I've never played on a big arena ice before. And like I was sick to my stomach. And so when they mic'd us up, I zipped my coat up all the way and covered my microphone. And even when I was talking, I'd kind of like rub over it so they couldn't really hear me. And the funny thing about it was we went out and we absolutely hit fire that day. Like we were on in every way we could be like we were was one of the strongest games that we'd played as a team maybe ever. And I walked away really realizing the ways that I did not let myself fully be seen and heard that day. 
And it was such a huge lesson for me. You know, I was so afraid to put myself out there. I was so afraid to step out onto this stage that I, I I did it, but I still held myself back a little bit. There were still my protective barriers up. And it was just so fascinating for me to have that realization after of like, this isn't even about curling right now. This is about me stepping out into who I am and owning it. You know, like I, I earn being there. I have just as much right to be there and be seen and heard and take up space as everybody else. So it was a very, it was a power moment for me. That's it. like, that's the only way to describe it. It was a power moment of realizing that if given the chance again, I would not zip my coat up all the way and I would not muffle my microphone. So it's been interesting then, you know, so we came home and the podcast came out after and I was like, oh, here it is again. It's that same feeling of like wanting to stay hidden and wanting to, it's very comfortable when you're hiding. It's very comfortable. You get to choose who and when gets to know these parts of you. But then that means there's times when you're not letting yourself be who you are. And that comes with a price. You know, that comes with a price. And I will say, like, I have really stepped in. I've accepted a, a position uh, working for an Indigenous organization doing healing and wellness practices traditionally, which I'm so excited about. I'm still doing my private practice, but it's allowed me to, like, really get comfortable and having these conversations of being like, this is me. This is what I offer. This is who I am. And you know, talking to my mom and dad about it, talking to like everybody about it now, everybody. And I've been so surprised by people who I thought would have, you know, been the reason why I stayed hidden being like, this is amazing. Like my dad is texting me these information and all kinds of things that like are supporting what I do. And I'm just like, this is amazing. This is incredible. You know? And so what's amazing about that conditioning is a lot of it lives inside of us you know and we we decided that those other people couldn't accept us they didn't decide that we did we decided that they couldn't accept and see us so we didn't share it with them but the reality is the moment I broke through that and I started really saying this is me this is who I am I'm Betty Dawn Star woman people were like yeah yes yes Right. And it's just it's just been a really incredible process. So looking back at that podcast, like I was still navigating all that. I was still so scared to like put a label on myself and and say who I am and, and what I do. Like I was I really was. And part of me really doesn't like to put labels on because it really does reduce potential. But there is somewhere there is a category that I fit into and and it is shamanism. That is where that's where my heart goes. Like if I look at every Oracle card deck I have in every spiritual book I have, it's, it's shamanism. Like I love to read other stuff. Yes, absolutely. But that's, that's where my, my spirit just fits. That's where I feel. That's where I feel I, I belong. I feel the power of what you're saying. And as you were describing your experience with curling and how you did it and afterwards you thought, and you realize what was happening. You see how you would do it next time. I feel as though right now you're sitting here and I see your name right on the bottom of my screen. Now I realize Betty Dawn Star Woman, 
you're sitting here, Betty Donstar woman, doing the thing, really living out loud. Like I can feel the, the vibration of what you're giving off, which is your true self. Yeah, that's pretty, it's pretty exciting for me. I'm going to get a little, little teary eyed over that because it's just, you know, when you mentioned earlier about the death and the rebirth, you know, in the last interview, I talked about the trauma I experienced and as hard as it was, and I never, ever want to go through it again. I understand that it was necessary. There was parts of myself that I had to let go. And, you know, we talked a little bit about that trauma forgetting, like I, I forgot who I was. I would open my closet and look in and not know what to wear. I would open the fridge and not know what to eat. Like there were these real, real big parts of myself that were gone. And, and this is normal in trauma. Like for anybody who's listening, like if this, if you've ever experienced this, this is a hundred percent normal when you've gone through something where you, your life is in danger, but what was powerful about it. And this is, this is the light side of the, the trauma is that it was an opportunity for me to recreate who I was in a way where I got to decide who I want to be, not who I was conditioned to be, not who I was pre 2020, but it's like, who, who actually resonates with who I am? What do I want to wear? You know, if I don't have to go to some job that tells me I have to dress a certain way, what would I wear? What clothes would be in my closet? You know, what foods actually make me feel good? Yeah, it was just, it was just this amazing opportunity to rebirth myself into who I really want to be. Yeah. Well, yeah. I saw a Phoenix while you were talking and I know about what you experienced and I know the name of your business. And I just kept yeah. seeing that this birth, this death birth, you know, this conscious, I think that's what the Phoenix represents for me in this ego death rebirth cycle is this now in adulthood we can make it conscious mm -hmm. we can do what we couldn't do when we were seven years old when we were a sponge you know we couldn't do that we also maybe couldn't do it when we were uber stressed and that's what makes me think about the perfect soup unfortunately in grad school or in undergrad even in stressful jobs even is like we're so much more of a sponge for all that fear thinking and in liability and indoctrination but as we grow we have this opportunity to consciously say it's really uncomfortable to defy this conditioning but that's the thing on the other side is a new set point it's like a new thermostat a new ceiling for how much joy, abundance, creativity, aliveness, realness. But to get there is like, it's very uncomfortable. Yeah, it is very uncomfortable. And I remember entering into like really giving myself over to my spiritual practices, like back in 2016, where it become a daily, a part of my day, my everyday life. And things do start to get hard when you dive in and do a lot of work on your inner world. And I remember my mentor saying, well, if I told you how hard it was, would you have done it? <laughs> and the reality was I probably wouldn't have because I am a bit of a, a, like a chicken, I suppose. I wouldn't have wanted to face fear, but the reality is you're always going to be pushed forward anyway. We're always growing. And, and if we don't, if we don't decide how we're going to grow and heal and work through our inner stuff, the universe will decide for us, you know, and that's probably 
a, a thing that I think happened for me was I was resisting diving in. I was resisting diving deep into myself. And it was like, well, we're going to make things really uncomfortable for you. So uncomfortable that change looks better than staying the way you are. And I understand that from a spiritual perspective. And and the, and it's funny, like I, even my my 16-year-old daughter, she says like, I wouldn't take back what happened for anything because I really like who I've become because of it. And I, I feel that too. It's like I've become the best version of myself. And it's still a, it's still a work in progress. Well, I think you were saying the thing we often say once we've done the work, which is that we really wouldn't take back the adversity. Absolutely. Even the hard work, we're talking about how it can be hard to move through these layers. I mean, surrender helps. Void, non-resistance moves us through them quite rapidly. That's not usually where we come from, but it, it, it helps. If anyone's listening, they're like, I don't want to do a slog. Well, surrender, don't resist. And you'll move through the layers fast. But conditioning says resist. So, but when we're through and we've done some of this and we're at a new evolutionary point in our human life, in this life, it's like, yeah, the adversity, we wouldn't change a thing. Yep. And and that's exactly how I feel. I would not change it. I would not like to do it over again. And I very much did resist reality every step of the way. I... I hated what I was going through. I, I, and I remember just sitting in the living room of our rental house and um, I couldn't take the pain that I was just experiencing in my body and my heart and my mind. And I remember just absolutely breaking down and just sobbing and being like, I give up. Like I can't fight this anymore. Like I can't, I can't stop this. And it was a really hard moment to give in when reality is absolutely not what you want it to be mm-hmm. you know and but it's essential like the moment I gave in things started getting easier and easier and I even wrote a poem about it today like about what, what it was like for me going through it and I look back on it from time to time and I'm like man that's really powerful like it, it it's a powerful moment when you do give in because you allow healing to come in when you do the more you resist the more you fight against what you're going through, you hold yourself there and you don't even realize that you're doing that. The very thing that you don't want, you're kind of creating. So accepting and and surrendering to life, living life on life's terms, like life is always going to be life. It's nature and nature is just going to keep doing what nature does. And we cannot control that. We can't stop that. All we can do is accept it and find the good, even in the hard moments. Mm-hmm. And there really is good in the hard moments. Like as hard as it was, what my family went through, I see how we're more kind to each other. There's so much more love in my home. And there there was no shortage of it before, but even now, like there's this sense of like appreciation and gratitude for everything and every moment and you know it's like you appreciate everything you have every little moment and I also find I do not 
I was probably chasing happiness, which a lot of us do, right? When you're when you're young, you're like, oh, things will get better when I finish school or things will get better when I get a full-time job or things will get better when we don't have to pay for childcare anymore. We're always looking to the future for things to get better that we actually don't even pay attention to what is good right now. And and that is something that changed for me. It's like, I can see what's great in right now. I can see the good in in each moment, even when they're not perfect moments, even though finances might not be perfect or our living situation, we're still getting stabilized or, you know, I have a kid in university now and my life isn't where I thought it would be, but it's still beautiful. And, and that's exactly, you know, we look to nature and it's the same thing. There's beauty in the chaos. You know, you look at a storm, they're absolutely beautiful. They're mesmerizing. Yeah. So it's really all about finding the good in in everything and it's there but you have to be willing to surrender to that have to be willing to let go of the illusion of certainty if we look at what is underlying even most mental health conditions the the tie that binds them it turns out is this seeking and creating the illusion of certainty and when you look at what psychedelics for example do they say why it seems like a panacea Like, why does it seem to just kind of help everything to do psilocybin, for example, Mm -hmm. is because it gets at that, that, that certainty BS, it's not real. It is fake. And we've all organized around it on some level. But what you're talking about in nature is the truth, this death, rebirth. What came to mind when you were talking, and I think it's a metaphor, it's coming together, was I used to live in Hay River as well. And breakup. So breakup is when, for people who don't know, the ice on the river freezes very thickly, like you can drive over the river in the Arctic. They become roads. Um, That was new to me. But when it breaks up, there's this violent, almost cataclysmic collide where the ice gets trapped. And sometimes it causes major floods, which happened this year in Hay River. But also, it's just this unbelievable sight like to go close to it and see the the actual thickness of these slabs of ice and this collision, and you can hear it when it breaks up. So it feels like change on this kind of level can be something like that. At first, it's this like cataclysmic resistance clashing, but the faster we go, okay, I can't control this. Happiness is actually adjusting to change it's like then it starts to flow again. But we're all at a different place. Sometimes we're flooding. Sometimes we can't let go and the water starts rising. And other times we hear the crack and we're like, yeah, okay, we're just going to allow it. And it just, I don't know if that resonates with you, Betty. It does resonate quite a bit. Certainty, I think, is something that we all look for, you know, and, and we we buy into it, right? Like we think we can live our life in a way and we can guarantee that everything will always go the way we think it will. But that isn't the nature of life. That isn't the nature of reality. And it is so uncomfortable for us when things shift, but it's necessary to let life shift us because that's kind of why we came here. We came here to be molded by experiences, to be We came here expecting to have deaths and rebirths. And in my culture, you know, death was a celebration. 
it, it was honored. It was celebrated. We were excited, you know, that people lived. And that has kind of even become confused too, right? Like we somewhere along in the conditioning process, we stopped honoring the natural life cycles. Oh yeah. And so for me, this this process has really been about reconnecting to that aspect of, of life and being okay with the uncertainty of the natural life cycles that will happen. Yeah. It's not a it's not even a question at this point of if they will, they will. Expect it. You you go through mini ones all the time, little moments, and then there's big moments, and then there's bigger moments, and then there's chaos moments. We just don't always recognize them. And I can see why you named it earlier. The the North American conditioning is the whens. It's this when this happens, we'll be happy. The continual search for happiness outside of the self. My niche is really looking at that in terms of therapy and the way we've been conditioned and the, the way we've been given this promise of fulfillment. And yet, actually, if you really talk to therapists underneath the often protective identity we've been trained to have of everything's okay, people are not necessarily fulfilled. And I would say generally are not. They're not. There is something that is not fulfilling, but the field is just another iteration of this whens. When you finish this thing, you'll be happy. When you get this training, you'll be happy. When you have this many clients, you'll be happy, but wasn't created from the source of happiness which is the self. It is the, not the conditioning. That is a challenge though, because knowing how to come from beneath conditioning, that is not addressed in North American culture. It's continual fixation on outward. It's the continual when, when this happens, when this happens. Luckily, I think we've started integrating other ways of thinking, um, some Eastern traditions and but we've taken it as a practice without maybe understanding the meaning. Yeah, these ancient traditions, indigenous, ancient Asian traditions are not about it as a packaged, commodified thing. It's about the the meaning, the being. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The being and the thing with happiness and being a happiness chaser is you're really chasing something that's already here. Mm-hmm. You know, it and it's funny because we keep thinking it's in the future, but it's in the now. It's in every moment. It's just available. It's available all the time and it's like you're looking for something, but it's right there. And it's just it's so right there that you don't even see it. And it's, you know, going back to the whole concept of life will get easier, you know, when you don't have to pay childcare anymore. Like when I look back at that, like my daughter's in university now, she's almost done her first year. And I look back to when she was little and I'm like, man, I missed out on so many beautiful moments that were right in front of me with her because I was worrying about it, you know, when it would come that I didn't notice those little moments. And, you know, that created a lot of deep regret for me because how many of us are are doing this? I know as mothers, like we we carry so much on our backs and we worry about so much. And I'm sure fathers too. I'm not just singling out moms here, but we're so worried all the time about giving our kids opportunities and and covering the bills and getting lunches packed and just the day to day, you know, hustle of it all that we 
totally miss out on the mom look what I drew at school today and it's this beautiful picture of the family all together playing a, a game that they maybe we maybe did on the weekend you know and that was so important to them that they drew it on paper and you know in the oh that's nice honey I got to get this packed like you didn't take it in yeah. you just didn't take that in and sit with how amazing that is that you know it's oh it, I know and, I can feel that oh, as a mom <laughs> it's like when we talk about being seen and how we're stepping in, I'm realizing that everything I've been talking about here through this journey is just about that. I'm just maybe an inch ahead or uh, like it has felt in the past. And this is what I shared with my team when I had a really vulnerable share with them about the reality of me pulling back from my group clinic to do therapist expanded the way I am now. It was like in the past, this is me sharing hashtag vulnerable in the past. I have felt when I worked with clients, there was a runway between where I'm at and where they're at. It was just, I believe our ideal clients are us in the past generally. And people will sometimes say, I don't know. And I'm like, just look into it. And then they look a little deeper and they're like, Oh yeah, totally. Yep. It could have been us when we were children. It could have been us as teens, but there is, we can't help. The projective process is continually happening. But so when I look back at when I was with clients, there was runway between where I'm at and where they're at. Now, why this grates on me with being seen sometimes with this like, holy crap, I'm putting this out in the world, is that sometimes there isn't that much of a runway. So when you just said that, I was like, I live that on a regular basis of going, wow, with my kid, what have I, what have I, what have I lost there by adopting the conditioning by living it out of that somehow I had to get it right. And I know that getting it right, if you are successful in society, air quotes, whatever the hell that means, we are oriented in this culture, in this Western world about getting things right. We want to do the right thing for our kids. Kids don't care about most of the things we've been conditioned. They just want us to sit with them eye to eye, look at their picture, that's it. It's not complex. It's connection. And as you were talking earlier, I could feel that grief and I can feel it now in my heart because there isn't a lot of runway for me between what you're saying about child rearing and where I'm at with my 11 year old. Yeah. And that is the price we pay for being conditioned though, you know, and it's, and it's not just me and you, it's probably every parent out there because we're conditioned to get caught into this world of working and getting our kids involved in so many sports that we don't even have time for a real meal together. But all of that is just us buying into this idea that this is the best way to be a parent. But really, if you ask any kid about the best parenting quality, it will really be the time that we give them, our time, genuine time, you know, no phone, no anything, just, and like, my daughter calls me out on this all the time. She's 16. And she's just like, can you put your phone down? Like, yes, yes, I can, you know, and, and I, and I usually are pretty good about it, but you know, that's really from my youngest who's 10 to my oldest, who's 18. That's really all they, any of them want is my attention my time, a moment of it, whether it's to share, share a drawing or tell me about their day or talk about some problem or, you know, plan their future. They just want 
my time, you know, above all else. Well, and if we're talking about self-development here, growth, being seen, creating a life from, from where we want to create from, from fulfillment, from, it's amazing. I'm so excited about this activation I'll be running in the course in the spring, because it's like turning this all upside down. It's the way for therapists to actually do this. How do you come from? But a piece of what you're saying is that a key element is that what we want, what your kids want, what my kids want is exactly what we want from ourselves, which is to stop pushing ourselves, stop disciplining ourselves, stop all the new things we know in parenting. If we really look inside, we're doing that shit to ourselves where we are criticizing, we're demanding, we're shaming, we're blaming even us who have the most sophisticated egos. I can say my ego is sneaky now. It is so well behaved. It is like a child that's been deeply indoctrinated, right? That's like, I'll do anything so you don't punish me. But it's still doing the disciplining, the limiting, the shaming, the blaming. And what it really needs, my inner world, what everyone's needs is that turning towards with love and compassion, acknowledging, and I would add, and not believing the conditioning. It's just a lovely limiting mechanism, but we still, I believe, need to turn towards it in all the ways we didn't get. This like all the kids want and all that that inner knowing in us, all that inner, not knowing, all that inner child in us, that ego wants is to be acknowledged. It doesn't mean in our case that we as therapists, as adults need to live from there, but it's a start. It's like how to not live in so much tension and resistance and denial and avoidance with that we're not really fulfilled by following the path that we were given in the field. Yeah. And fulfillment, I think, is when we break from conditioning, that's kind of what we go in in search of, I guess. We're looking for a more fulfilled way of living. And you'll find it in the little moments you're you're never going to find it in the things that are big or the things that are hanging over your head for months at a time it's it's when you're out for a drive and you come across a beautiful sky or a sunset you know that that fulfillment it is it is in the small moments and i mean it can be in the big moments i'm not saying it can't be I think it just what we think things are and what they actually are, are sometimes very different. 100%. I'm living that right now in this launch because the launch is, is, as you say, like it's looming, but it's, it's exciting, but it's also actually quite difficult. But what it is, is that the joy in my life is not about that. I can wait until this all launches in the way I see it. Yeah. It has to be now. And that, is for me the grading on when I say there's like, you know, a little bit of runway in some places around responsibility or around power, actually there's some runway. That's something I've been working on for a long time. Maybe had an advantage coming in in the way I'm wired, but around responsibility and around this, like being happy where you are, even though I've been looking at that for a long time, there's not always a lot of runway and a launch will seriously bring up your stuff. So you're right in this. Sometimes the big stuff is is amazing. Like having a child or getting married that, that can be a source of so much fulfillment in the day to day. But other than that, the, like the whens of, well, when I'm done the launch or when I'm done the certification, 
no, that's not it. And I'm seeing that as I'm building these activations, these courses, it's not about get a whole bunch of things done. And then it is completely experiential in the now. It is not a course where there's fluff and you've got to study it and go and implement it and do 10 steps. No, the transformation happens in the live activation. Now there isn't this lag because life is now. Yeah. Yep. I'm just like, boof, exploding with excitement hearing you say that because that's really 100% what it is. The transformation is in the difficulty of the launch. It's it's in the difficulty of the rebuild and the rebirth. And that's where you grow. Like once you're birthed, you're birthed. You know, now it's just growing and, and refining. But the bulk of that transformation happens in the chaos. Mm-hmm. And this is this is what I've really embraced in my own chaos is how much I've grown and changed, how much just tumbling I did and how that grew me and really discarded the parts of me that weren't needed, you know? And yeah, they so died. I, just, I love that. They really yeah. died to be born again anew. Absolutely. Yeah. I see that more and more. Yeah. The control is such an illusion. And I was in a coaching call yesterday with my coach and they talked to, she actually, she really connected with me around this. And she said, we talked about control and she said, Aaron, this is beautiful for you to share with your audience because we're likely a controlling bunch given the fact of how we were conditioned and and educated, but also because we've been told that the stakes are high, that clients can die. Clients can die and there can be someone who says it's our fault, right? And then that, why wouldn't our ego go, well, then I have to control every variable I can. I have to. It's an impossible bind. And it's like, oh, yeah. So if people are listening to this and they're going, holy crap, if I really look at what I'm doing, I'm so controlling of my life, my circumstance, my business, my, my this, my that, myself. Yeah. Know that it's just the conditioning. It is illusory. You're not in control. No one's in control. But I hope people can can kind of open the curtains of denial a little bit if they're in that so that they can understand this is coming from a place of love that we're all doing this because the stakes for all of humanity, it's like the punishment stakes that condition our ego suck getting punished, getting rejected, getting abandoned, but being told that you're responsible for the death of another person when you're not, that'll do something to our psyche. Absolutely. And that's one of the more terrifying realities of being in the mental health field is, especially like I'm an addictions counselor. And in my early training, one of my professors said like, you will lose clients. And Having them say that is that I know that sounds sad, but it also reminded me that this is the nature of addiction and this is what you're dealing with. It is a disease that does eventually lead to death if not treated. So it took me kind of out of the equation, right? Like if I were never even in the equation, that's where it would go. But what comes to mind, like listening to you talk, is really obedience. Like when we look at conditioning and the entire school system, it's all about obedience training, you know, listen, sit, talk when you're allowed to talk. And we've all, we've all been trained to be obedient. 
And it comes up in so many different ways where we're worried we're going to break the rules and we're going to get in trouble. But, but when we get older as a, an adult and we enter professions like this, the stakes get higher, mm-hmm. you know, like the, the loss of a life because I didn't perform that risk assessment. I, you know, tried to call them, but didn't leave a message because the message box wasn't selected, but I maybe should have because of the risk assessment and just all of, all of these types of things. Like it's terrifying. Mm -hmm. It's terrifying, but it also puts the responsibility of the outcome on us as the therapist, instead of handing it over to the one person who can actually make the change, Mm -hmm. which is the client. Mm -hmm. And for me, I am very grateful to have broken out of the job I was in because it was very much like that. It was very, it was very fear-based. It was very much like, okay, we're going to call them this many times and we're going to fill out this form and we're going to cover our asses in all these different ways because at the end of the day, it's, you're the one who's liable. Where's the power in that for the person? For the the people coming to see us, for the community that we serve, how are we empowering them in that model? We're not. We're saying, I'm responsible. I'll call you. Not you call me when you're ready. Not you call me when you need me. I'm going to call you a whole bunch of times. (sighs) That over, yeah. For me, this really cracked open on the responsibility week that I did. Because it was like, oh yeah, that is deeper than I even thought. Yeah. And it is fundamentally disempowering. That's the rub. That is the bind is we are told on the one out of one cheek, we're told you got to empower people. This is their journey. It's not yours. Don't give advice. Don't tell people what to do. And then out of the other side of the mouth is going. And yet if they die on your watch and you didn't do what you should have done, you're in big, big trouble. I mentioned in a live about this woman I found on Facebook who I might've mentioned it here too who was mandated to watch this really BS basic mental health thing that had no value to her life. And it wasn't about supporting her. It wasn't about um, what you've been through. It was all about, you have to check this box or you can't practice anymore because your client took their life. And it was, you know, watch, like she showed a screenshot and it was just nonsense. And it was like, oh, that was palpable. Mm -hmm. I felt anger and sadness and just this sense of trapped yeah to both empower and disempower to be given both of those messages and of course bind there is that the one that we've been told will be trouble for us is the one that it happens if you actually give people if you actually live in the reality of that everyone has the right to take their life which Of course, that's not what I want for people, but it isn't about what I want. Yeah. It isn't about what the college that I belong to wants, the governing bodies. It isn't about that. Life is not about these restrictive obedience systems. It's all an illusion to try to comfort us, but it is just nonsense. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah. And hundred percent why so many of us are breaking free from that because we can't thrive in that and we can't be our best selves as helpers in a in a model like that I working in the north I've seen so many people come and go Mm -hmm. over the years because it just the the fear-based model like 
how much heavy stuff people see without getting the support for the therapist is driving them out of here. Mm -hmm. It's and and I I hate to say that because I want I want people to come here. It's beautiful. There's a lot of good work that can happen here. But until we change how we support helpers, it's going to be a continuous cycle. Oh, yeah. I lived that. There was not that yeah. is fundamentally why I left. I mean, there was other reasons, but leaving the north was because it was going to kill me if I didn't go. And I know my replacement was there three months, okay. three months, and they left to take care of themselves or because it wasn't for them. Yeah. So it's amazing. And this has been such a pleasure and so meaningful, Betty. I am just really grateful. Yeah, me too. I And we've touched on so many different types of conditioning today. Mm-hmm. It's It's fascinating. And I hope it flows really well and it all fits. And I, it, there's just so many different elements of conditioning that exist. And I'm so excited to start talking more about it and help other people see the conditioning that is in their lives. And hopefully that they can break out of hiding and have these power moments where they can be seen too. So that's, that's what it's really all about. Oh yeah. Betty, so. thank you. Oh, thank you. This has been an amazing conversation. Agreed. <laughs> I really appreciate it. And we will again put in the links any way people can find you as you're obviously doing amazing work in the world. I can feel it. I can see it. And I know you. So like I'm biased, but I know you're doing amazing work in the world right now by what you're saying and doing here and being willing to be seen. What you're doing in the world has a massive ripple effect. So thank you. And is there anything else you want the audience to know about finding you? No, I'm I'm out there. Yeah, I'm excited for people to contact me. It'll be nice to meet people and, and get to, to supporting others, I guess. Mm, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Erin. Thanks for listening to Therapist Expanded. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast to help more of our colleagues join the revolution.